Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Tuesday, the 16th of May, with me, Bernadette Anderko. On the show today, we'll get the latest news from the Turkish presidential elections, along with our research department's outlook for the country's asset classes. And we'll also be joined by our head of next generation research, Karsten Menke, who's going to update us on the copper market in light of recent news. But first, my colleague Jonty Warris from the investment writing team is going to bring us up to speed on what's been moving markets overnight. Good morning, Jonty. Good morning, Bernadette. So the US debt ceiling is uh, still hitting the headlines. We had some rather firm talk from the US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen yesterday. What can you tell us there? That's right. Yes, the US Treasury yesterday repeated its warning that it expects to be able to pay the US government bills only until the 1st of June, unless the debt ceiling is raised. This will no doubt put some pressure on congressional Republicans and the White House to reach a deal over the coming days. In her second letter to Congress in as many weeks, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen confirmed that the agency is unlikely to be able to meet all of the US government's payment obligations by early June, which would effectively trigger the first ever US default. Yellen's tough talk comes ahead of a meeting later today between the President and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and ahead of Biden's trip to Japan for the G7 summit. Elsewhere in the US, data yesterday showed that the New York Manufacturing Index plunged by the most since April 2020 on the back of shrinking orders and shipments. The debt ceiling remains a big focus for investors this week, and strategists are warning about market turmoil and economic disaster if politicians don't agree to raise the government's $31.4 trillion borrowing limit. And how did markets fare yesterday? While stock markets fluctuated yesterday, with US equities generally ending higher as traders assessed the latest economic data, FedSpeak and the latest on the US debt ceiling negotiations. The S&P 500 remained in a narrow range for much of the day before strengthening a little towards the close, managing to erase last week's index decline. US Treasuries were weaker with the curve steepening. The US Treasury two-year yields are down three basis points to 399, while 10-year yields are down two bips to 348 when I checked a moment ago. In other news, Turkey will hold a runoff vote to determine if President Erdogan will be able to hold on to power into a third decade. Turkish stocks slumped as much as 6.7% yesterday before triggering a halt in trading. And the Turkish lira also fell 0.4%. And we'll hear more on Turkey in a moment from Erini. Indeed. And um, how are markets faring in Asia this morning? I see that there's some new data from China. That's right. Official data released this morning shows that China's consumer spending and industrial activity grew at a slower pace than expected in April, adding to signs that the recovery in the world's second largest economy is losing momentum. Industrial production rose 5.6% from a year earlier, the National Bureau of Statistics said yesterday, which is much lower than the 10.9% median estimate in a Bloomberg survey of economists. The numbers were disappointing and suggest policymakers may need to do more to support growth. Elsewhere in Asia, most equities rose as traders digested the latest data from China. Japan's Topics Index is heading for its highest close since 1990 amid robust foreign buying. The Bank of Japan's dovish stance is proving particularly positive for Japanese equities. And South Korean equities also rallied, supported by chip stocks on the news of a potential merger between Kyoxia and Western Digital. Uh, any other news to report? Uh, yes, speaking of mergers, uh, Microsoft's $69 billion takeover of Activision Blizzard won European Union antitrust approval yesterday just a couple of weeks after the UK's competition watchdog delivered a shock decision to veto the deal. The EU's antitrust chief, Margrethe Vestager, said that she had come to the conclusion that the deal wouldn't hurt competition after Microsoft agreed to a licensing deal. 
While the EU decision does offer a glimmer of hope, it's unlikely to do much for Microsoft's chances of success in legal challenges, according to Bloomberg Intelligence. And lastly, what can we expect for the day ahead? Yes, it's a rather data-heavy week, and today we'll see US retail sales, industrial production and business inventory figures being released, along with UK unemployment figures, Eurozone GDP and trade balance data releases. Vodafone, Imperial Brands and Ubisoft are among the companies due to release earnings. And a quick look at the futures board shows a mixed open in Europe, while stocks in the US look set to open lower as investors weigh corporate results and disappointing China data. Thanks very much for the update, Jonti. And now we turn to our analysts. And first up is Irini Tsekeridou from Fixed Income Research. Good morning, Bernadette. Uh, we had elections in Turkey on Sunday, but there's no clear winner. And uh, now Mr. Erdogan and Mr. Kilic Daralu are heading for a runoff in two weeks' time. What's our assessment of the first round, Irini? In a sense, Erdogan was the winner of the first round since he beat the poll estimates with his 49.4% of the votes that he managed to get and managed to lead the race over Kilic Daroglu, who got 45% of the votes. So what do you expect now in the runoff on the 28th of May? The final outcome will ultimately depend on the voters of the third candidate, Sinan Ogan, who got some 5% of the votes, also surprising markets, as polls were giving him some 2.5%, and could swing the result either way, depending on which of the two candidates he endorses. He comes from MHP, the Nationalist Movement Party, a party that has been an ally of Erdogan since 2015. But Ogan himself has opposed several of Erdogan's policies. So will his electorate vote for Erdogan as an MHP ally? Or will they vote for Kilic Daroglu as showing their protest for the current president? It remains to be seen. Keep in mind that in the parliamentary elections, also held on Sunday, the People's Alliance, Erdogan's allies, got the majority, admittedly with some seat losses. So even if the opposition's candidate Kilic Daroglu wins, he won't be able to do as much as he'd like, since he won't have the parliament support. If Erdogan wins the runoff, we expect further deterioration in the economic environment and the continuation of the unorthodox economic policies as we have seen until now. So it doesn't sound like good news either way. Um, what's our view on Turkish assets? Do we see anything in the horizon that would justify a change in our negative stance? Initial market reaction was negative on Monday. CDS of Turkey, the cost of insuring against the default spiked from 500 on Friday to 600 on Monday. Turkish stocks opened some 6% lower before pairing losses. And the Turkish lira keeps weakening against the US dollar, despite the interventions of the central bank and the state lenders ahead of the elections, which were trying to stabilize the currency. Overall, it's too close to call for the final result. We are thus bracing for volatility in Turkish assets until 28th of May and maintain our negative stance on the Turkish lira, on Turkish equities and on Turkish sovereign bonds until then. So it sounds like we'll have to talk again after the 28th of May. Thanks very much for bringing us up to speed there, Rini. Uh, next up, I'd like to welcome Karsten Menke to the show. Good morning, Karsten. Hello, good morning. Karsten, we've seen some quite disappointing economic data out of China last week. Um, imports were much weaker than expected, which raises concerns about domestic demand. And then new credit also collapsed. What's been the reaction in the industrial metal markets? Well, obviously, the metal markets didn't like the data, facing more price pressure afterwards. Aluminium dipped back below $2,200 per tonne. Copper approached $8,000 per tonne and iron ore traded back below $100 per tonne. And these all are the lowest levels since the start of the year. So does that mean that all the euphoria around China's reopening has faded from the markets? Yes, it looks like. So this reopening rally has uh, fully reversed. And uh, in my view, it's based on two factors. 
First, uh, it reflects the realization that China's reopening recovery, which was very much driven by services and consumption rather than construction, a point we've been making right after the reopening. Second, the reaction also shows cracks in the market's conviction of China coming back as a global growth engine, which we also share given the structural challenges the country is facing. And this is also backed by today's data on retail sales and industrial production, which shows softening of growth dynamics. And looking back at the past four months, we saw primarily a sentiment cycle in the metal markets that was triggered by the reopening, and that has now reversed. Put differently, we did not spot a change in fundamentals justifying either the reopening rally or the current correction. All in all, prices are now much better aligned with fundamentals. And how about copper? Uh, late last year, you published a very positive report on it, pointing towards sizable structural deficits and saying that it was set to join the battery metals super cycle. Is that still the case? Uh, it is the case, even though the situation is a little bit tricky, I would say, because we have this long-term, very positive view of structural deficits that still holds. Uh, it's driven by accelerating demand growth from the energy transition and slowing mine supply growth due to underinvestment. However, if we look at the short to medium term, we have this rather challenging cyclical outlook and uh, not least the market seems sufficiently supplied this year. Um, but yeah, I guess this is uh, now more or less priced in given that prices have corrected. So we, we thus take the current correction as a buying opportunity, allowing us to put a first foot into the market. That said, given these cyclical challenges, we cannot rule out a deepening of the current correction which you would, however, see as another, even more attractive buying opportunity. Thank you so much for the update this morning, Carsten. Well, uh, that concludes today's podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in again tomorrow when I'll be joined by Richard Tang to discuss why Japan is back on investors' radar screens. And meanwhile, if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We'd love to hear your feedback. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.